0: How fast that flies, huh? Thank you. I share his belief that our best is yet to be realized by God's good grace and mercy. I just have to tell you as I start today that uh, how full my heart is, uh, full for a number of reasons. First of all, God has embarrassed me with his favor and his blessing over my ministry here, um, can't say that I envisioned what God would do, and, and uh, he did it despite my shortcomings, despite my failures, and with the support and help of a lot of great people. So uh, it's amazing to realize what God has done as you look back over that time. There's another reason that my heart is full as well, and, and that's because Pastor Garrett is here, and he's assuming uh, senior leadership of this ministry, and, and um, I don't think it would be possible... Uh, for me to step aside or to continue uh, in ministry at a church that I love to be uh, included in the future here is just really important, and it took a special person of spiritual depth and and, and also uh, confidence you know uh, leadership ability uh, to allow me to continue and not be afraid of that uh, and uh, We have that man in, in Pastor Garrett, and I am privileged to uh, be in a supportive role to him. Uh, Let's let's just stop and and pray God's favor, Lord. We ask your favor on this message as we consider our next big step, as we take a look at your scripture and and we derive from it not only what is right for us as a Christian congregation, whether uh, we are uh, worshiping online and and we're a part of another church or whether we're a part of this church, or, and and not just for congregations Lord but for us individually because your word not only speaks to us corporately as people it speaks to us personally as well and and I just ask Lord that you would bless us each individually as we consider our next big step in life and derive from this teaching uh, some value that would apply to us personally uh, as we then join hands with other Christians and accomplish your greatest your greater purpose uh, in Christian fellowship this we pray in Christ Jesus amen let me start by talking today about, about focus. Because focus changes everything. Focus will change your life. Focus will advance your career. Focus will help your family grow to what a family ought to be. Now, Focus will help a Christian school. It will help a Christian church be all that it should be. Now I know that you might think it's the mission. But a lot of great organizations have fine mission statements, but they don't focus much on them. Focus is what gives a mission statement its legs. I'm holding a baseball in my hand because when I think about focus, I think about all the years that as we raised our sons, I spent, you know, on my knees, soft pitching balls to them, and then uh, on ball diamonds, even when we would go uh, different places on vacation or whatever. We always threw the balls and bats and uh, some tennis balls and rackets into the car. And we would find, because it's cheap, uh, we would find a place where, you know, the, the guys could get out on a baseball diamond and I could just pitch to them. And I talked to them about focus. A lot of people do when they coach little league- baseball they always say watch the ball watch the ball you'll hear it at your little league games if you go and visit either your children or your grandchildren watch the ball keep your eye on the ball and some will say watch the release from the pitcher's hand or watch it all the way to the plate i used to say to my boys look for the stitches you know if you can see the stitches then i know you're focused you know your your eye is right there you know on on the ball and, uh, and if you keep your eye on that ball, then you're likely hit it. It's the same way with my golf game today. You know, I try to focus on a speck of my ball. You know, just because focus, breaking focus is what causes you to miss the mark. Focus is essential. I don't know if you remember this guy, uh, Harmon Killebrew. Uh, they shortened his name in the, leg, in the big leagues. Uh, just called him Killer. Uh, because he became uh, quite an athlete and, and a tremendous star. Uh, just asked Heath Lumen because he was a Minnesota twin guy. In fact, he first joined the Washington Senators in 1954. And he had a 21-year 21 career, 21 career in the majors uh, until 1975 when he finished with Kansas City. Uh, but it didn't happen automatically. He got called up to the big leagues by a scout who had heard about his ability to hit in high school. So at age 18, he was already drafted into the major leagues and went right away to the big team <laughs> where he failed miserably. Uh, His batting average went down to 215 and then down to 115. And he was sent down to the minors, probably never to be heard of again. But then he remembered a lesson that his father taught him about focus. And he came back in a big way. In fact, he had eight seasons where he had more than 40 home runs. In 1969, he had 44 home runs and 140-some RBIs that season alone. He was second only to Babe Ruth in the number of home runs hit. And he still today holds the record in a number of major league parks for the longest ball ever hit in that stadium, including Detroit Stadium, where you went and watched the Tigers play. He was one of only four guys who ever hit it over the left field roof into the streets, Harmon Kilbaru, because of a lesson his daddy taught him about focus. And he used to love to tell this story about when they were young, his daddy, who was a sheriff... Uh, for the county, actually in Idaho, and uh, also was a painter on the side. So a busy man trying to provide for his family would come home sometimes late at night, but he'd always get his boys out and he would just throw balls to them and throw balls to them and they'd play pickup games in the backyard to the consternation of their mother and his wife who had dinner waiting on him. And he would just say, put it on hold, we're going to go out and play some ball. And she would urge them to come in and eat the meal that she had prepared and get their homework done. And one time she came out, and this is the event that he remembers. She said, Harmon, which was his daddy's name as well, Harmon, stop the nonsense and bring the boys in for supper. Supper is getting cold. And so he did, stop the so-called nonsense and brought the boys in. They got cleaned up and they sat down for a meal. And after prayer, uh, he paused for a moment. This is what his son, Harmon Jr., remembers. He said, Sweetheart, let me just remind you that we're not growing grass. We're raising sons. The mission wasn't about the grass. The mission was about those boys. And he didn't care about the grass. Focus, focus, focus on the mission. We have a mission. It's a well-known mission. It's uh, uh, printed on uh, posters around our campus. You'll see it in almost all of our board meeting rooms. And uh, it's a mission that's based on the great commission of Jesus. We didn't vote on this mission. We didn't choose this mission. No church chooses their own mission. God has given the church its marching orders. On the day that Jesus was raised back into heaven on ascension, he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. If you examine the constitution of Christian churches, they will usually claim that as their mission statement. It's our mission statement as well, only spoken in a language that pertains to us, especially based on our view of Joshua and the importance of being strong and courageous and not willing to turn from the right or to the left of all that God has commanded. So here's how we say it, to save the lost. Our mission is to save the lost and strengthen the saved To live bold and courageous lives of Christian witness before a non-believing world. We strengthen the save for the purpose of saving the lost. It's a circular thing. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Now a lot of churches, as I said, have that as their mission. But we don't play at that. We take that very seriously. We have a focus on that mission. And it drives our budget. It drives our staffing. It drives our decisions. It drives our facilities. It even drives the way we worship. We take that mission very, very seriously. We believe that ministry ought to be conducted in the language of the people. That it ought to be culturally relevant. It ought to be outwardly focused. And it ought to be biblically sound. You know, those are the marching orders of this ministry. Now let's get to our story today from Numbers chapter 11. As a different congregation, a congregation called the nation of Israel, stood on the border of the promised land, which was the mission. That was their next big step. And it was a watershed moment for them. And they had come to an impasse. And it's an important day for them as this is an important day for us. Now we have a picture here of how God appeared to them as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They were camped on the borders of the promised land. They had been in the Sinai for two years already. They had already celebrated the Passover. The Passover was to remind them of how God brought them out of Egypt through miracles. Remember the bread was unleavened. And they were to recognize that and to celebrate that Passover as a reminder of the miracles that God did. Never forget what God has done for you. And how he has brought you out of Egypt by miracles. Against a mightier enemy than you could ever stand before. And God had provided for them. They're in a desert. If you've been in the Sinai, I have several times. It's a desolate place. And and yet God provided for them water out of the rocks in a miraculous way so that they would know it was from God. They didn't just find a spring. They didn't dig a hole. God provided for them in a special way. And when they needed food, God provided manna for them as well. God was constantly providing for his people. In fact, the Bible tells us that at the end of their wanderings, when when they entered into the promised land, that even their clothes had not been worn, nor the sandals on their feet. God had miraculously provided for them. And yet, at this decisive moment, as they stood on the brink of their next big thing, the people began to grumble. Here's how it's described in the Bible. The rabble among them began to crave other food. And the Israelites started to wail and say, if only we had meat to eat. Remember, we ate meat in Egypt. They forgot that Pharaoh was killing all the firstborn children, the males, They forgot that they were slaves. They forgot they had no freedom to worship. They forgot all that. All they remembered was they had a variety of food to eat. And so they began to cry, The rabble among them, you know, meaning a small group of people among them. But then it goes on to say, Then Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. You know, it, it was contagious, this complaining. So that everybody began to complain. And so Moses went out and and stood before the Lord. And he said, Lord, if you love me, remove this burden from me. I did not give birth to these people. These are your people. They're not my people. If you love me, I don't deserve this. Just kill me now if you love me. Actually, ask the Lord to kill him now if you love me. And this was God's response, our text for today. From Numbers chapter 11 beginning at verse 16. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses... Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. I'm going to endorse you in front of these 70. They're going to know that you're my man. I'm going to speak to you there. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said, and he brought together 70 of their leaders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down, as he said, in a cloud, and he spoke with Moses there. He endorsed him. And then he took some of the power of the spirit that had been placed on Moses, and he also spread it among the 70 others. When the Spirit rested on them, they began to prophesy, to give glory to God, praise God, moved by the Spirit, and perhaps even speak in other languages as they did in the New Testament. But they did not do so again. It was just a sign that God had chosen them, God had endorsed and blessed them. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not come out to the tent. They misunderstood or... Or got conflicted in some way. Yet the spirit still rested on them. And they prophesied, even though they were still in the camp, they prophesied among the people. Created quite a stir. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been with Moses as his age since youth, standing next to Moses, said, My Lord, forbid them. Stop them from doing this. And Moses turned to him and said, Joshua, are you jealous for my office? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. Shouldn't you want that? And that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. What a mature attitude on the part of Moses. And if Kilbrew had that defining moment at his table, you know, when his dad said we're raising boys, not grass, imagine that Joshua never forgot that. You know, are you jealous for my office, Moses said. And Joshua, that young leader, would never forget that it was about the mission, not the man. Let's just take some uh, truths from this uh, story. There is no perfect leader. Obviously. You know, I I realize that even though we may have come to my embarrassment uh, to celebrate accomplishments... I know that if we were to list my failures, my mistakes, and my regrets, they would outnumber the accomplishments. It's amazing that God has done anything uh, in my stead. And and to not disappoint Jeff who came up and mocked me before the service began, uh, let me quote Mark Twain for you on a moment of congratulations for him. He said, I do not take this too seriously because I know if I were being hung today, there would be twice as many here. (laughs) and so it is you know I know I've disappointed I know I've hurt people and uh, I sincerely apologize to you I don't do that lightly I don't do that arrogantly Uh, it bothers me more than you might know and and um, I'm not excusing my bad behavior and just saying, hey I'm only human deal with it I'm not you know it's never right it's not excusable I apologize and and uh, if I've offended you, I apologize to you personally. Uh, I try to do that. And I know that I also am on my knees before the Lord who forgives me and restores me. It isn't okay to just sin saying we live by grace. No big deal. It is a big deal. It halts the ministry. It halts the mission. But let me just say that we as leaders know this better than, than anyone else. We don't need anyone to point that out to us. Um, in, in fact... Uh, in our tradition, we tend to have uh, junior high kids when they're 13 or 14 stand before uh, their peers and stand before their parents and their family and say, I know that I was raised in a Christian home, but now today I have studied the word of God myself and I want to stand up and claim to be a follower of Jesus on my own merit, empowered by God's conviction. And uh, I did that as well. And uh, today we have families actually choose that verse for their children or the children sometimes choose it for themselves. But back in my day, the pastor chose it based on his knowledge of you. Now, I only had seven or eight kids in my confirmation class, so he knew us pretty well after two years of study. And I don't know why he did, but this was the passage he chose for me from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive you your sin and purify you from your sinfulness. But, Stephen, if you claim to have no sin, you make him out to be a liar and his word is not in you. You you don't need to point out to me that I'm a sinful person. I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that God understands the nature of people. Uh, He understands our sinfulness. In fact, I had the privilege, and I've mentioned it uh, more than once in this congregation of preaching at my own uh, not preaching at my own father's funeral, but designing that funeral and, uh, and choosing the scriptures. And I actually got to read this scripture uh, because it speaks about a father's love and, and how much I need my father on earth and how much I need my father in heaven especially. When in Psalm 103 it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Thank God for that. He's slow to anger. He abounds in love. He will not always accuse us, not always remind us of our failures. He doesn't harbor his anger against us. No, as a father has compassion on a child who fears him, so the Lord has compassion on those who love him. For he knows that we are formed. He remembers that we are made out of dirt. Now in the course of my ministry and and for years to come, uh, I've conducted and will conduct many memorial services, many funeral services. And uh, I'm always trying to put myself in the mindset of those who come to such occasions, especially when the public comes uh, out of a relationship with the person who's died or a wedding or whatever. And we know that we have a lot of people who don't know me. And, And they're always curious and a bit critical, I think, as they come into a church and they begin to analyze and judge, you know, what do these people believe, what do they think here? And I think they come with an expectation to a funeral service. Uh, Let's see what the pastor says about this guy. Because I know him. You know, I know her. I know they weren't all that great. And if if they don't call that out, if they make them look like they are saints, you know, I'm going to be a bit disappointed. Let's see how they handle that. Now, I always do speak about perfection in a person. But it's perfection that is granted to you through forgiveness in faith because of what Christ has done upon the cross. But I usually read almost exclusively now at the beginning of the service for a memorial from Psalm 130. Out of the depth I cry to you, O Lord, David said, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Because, Lord, I know that if you kept track of sin, there's no one who could ever stand before you. So, Pastor Garrett, uh, I say to you what you've said to me on occasion give yourself some grace. You know, you're probably more aware of your failures than your successes. You move on from a success uh, quickly and say, what next needs to be done? But those things that we fail at, or the disappointments or the misunderstandings that we create, uh, we always second guess and say, could I have done that better? Could I have said that differently? You know, even if I didn't mean wrong, people took it wrong. And what could I have done? I say, live in grace. God forgives and he restores. You're going to preach grace, you're going to preach mercy. Preach it to yourself. Because Satan will be in your ear constantly reminding you of your failure and your inadequacy as Moses felt at that day when he considered the burden and the responsibility of leading so great a people. All people are human. Leaders know this better than others and God understands. The second point is this. God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. Not our congregation, I'm talking theoretically about other people. Other people are crazy. Not you, not me, but other people are crazy. And this is universally known. In fact, this became a number one best-selling hit by the guy behind me, Bill Currington, in 2009. Those are the lyrics of a song. Actually, the song itself is just called People Are Crazy. But it's an interesting song and like most country western songs, it tells a little bit of a story. It tells about a young guy who walked into a bar and he sat down and began to have a drink with an older man there who had lived many years. And they began to tell stories. They began to compare their lives. And they talked about the women in their life. They talked about the successes they had. They talked about the failures. And they talked about the constancy of God who continued to love them and how important that was for them. And then they parted ways not to see each other again. The Life lesson that the old man imparted to the man was this phrase, that God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. Just hold on to that and that will get you through life. And then the last verse goes like this. Then one sunny day, I saw the old man's face, front page obituary, the man was a millionaire. (laughs) He left his fortune to some guy he barely knew. His kids were mad as hell, but me, I'm doing well. (laughs) And I dropped by today just to say thanks and pray, and I left a six-pack right there on his grave, and I said, "God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy." The old man was crazy, the young guy was crazy. We're all a bit crazy. It's universally known, you know. If if that offends you, you know it's true. Uh, there's a, a little story that comes out of a high school in Queensland, Australia, uh, that's just indicative. But there are a hundred stories that could be told. They had a problem in this high school uh, that the parents didn't care whether their kids attended classes or not. And and students began to miss in droves from their classes, missing a third or even a half of their class and expecting, as had been the custom for teachers in the school, just to pass them on, not to care. The teachers finally drew a line line in the sand and said, no more, we're going to fail these kids. They're not turning in their work. They're not attending the class. They're disrespecting the educational process. And so they made that decision. And, and they failed a lot of them. And, and the parents did what parents do. They came together and filed a lawsuit against the school. <laughs> Trying to force them to do what they wanted them to do. Um, but the teachers uh, came together and, and they recorded a message uh, on, on the automatic answering machine because the phone at school was ringing off the hook. And here's what the message said. It's gone viral. You can look at it on YouTube and listen to the actual message. It said, to lie about your child's ass- attendance... Uh, press one. (laughs) To make excuses for why your child did not do his work, press two. To complain about what we do at our school, press three. To swear at a staff member, press four. (laughs) To ask why you didn't get the information that was already enclosed in your newsletter and several mailings to your home, press five. (laughs) To request another teacher for the third time this year, press six. But if you realize this is the real world and your child must be held accountable and responsible for the consequence of their behavior and their homework, and it's not the teacher's fault for your child's lack of effort, then hang up and have a nice day. (laughs) It's interesting that in this text, Pastor Garrett and brothers and sisters, it says the rabble began to speak against the leadership of Moses and against the goodness of God. Beware of the rabble. You know, it's that small element that begins to stir dissent. Uh, I would encourage you not to feed the fire. You know, pull the sticks out of the fire. Don't add more wood to the fire. Don't build the fire. Don't blow on the coals. You know, don't engage in meaningless controversy, which, by the way, is constant in the pastoral epistles that Paul writes to Timothy and also to Titus to avoid people who want to argue you know don't engage in arguments and that's why you have elders i can't tell you how many times i've said you know you and i aren't hitting it off here and you don't trust me and you don't believe in me i'm not the boss of this church the elders are my boss please talk to them they're godly people and i won't even have to be at the meeting just air your complaints there and let them be discerning christian leaders that they are laymen like you uh, sort it out between us you know don't feed the fire let me just say to you as brothers and sisters too, don't listen to the rabble. You know, those people who cast dispersions on your pastor or who, or who uh, are critical uh, about necessarily what God is doing uh, in this congregation. It's okay that we have different opinions. Uh, in the um, age of the Reformation, uh, it was commonly said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, freedom, in all things Christian love. In essentials, yeah, Unity. Demand unity in Scripture. In non-essentials, demand freedom. Let's do what's best. And it may not be your point of view. It may not be my point of view. Let's just air it out, you know. Do it within the proper, you know, channels. There's proper ways to express dissent, and there are improper ways. Uh, The Bible says, by their fruit you will know them. Jesus actually said that. By their fruit you will know them. And so as you hear these things, just say, would God say that? Would that come out of the mouth of Jesus? Would the Holy Spirit inspire that? Carol's daddy, my father-in-law, was a, a a wise man. He was not highly educated. He didn't even finish high school. He got a GED, um, but but he had he had common sense and he had wisdom, and he often counseled me. and And he would say, "Are the people eating your lunch, Steve?" I said, "Sometimes, sometimes." And, and he would say, you know, he was a chairman of the congregation. He was an elder in his congregation for years. And he said, uh, when people used to come uh, talking to me about what was wrong with the church, I'd say to them, I and mean, what did the pastor say when you shared that with him? <laughs> Knowing that they had not shared that with the pastor at all and they were talking behind his back. I mean, it's up to you, you know, to, to uh, be discerning and, and to not be unduly influenced by negativity. Let me just say, though, that God doesn't reject uh, even the most negative people. And Pastor Garrett, you should not either. You know, don't make enemies of those people. Uh, continue to close ranks. Continue to extend a hand of grace. Abraham Lincoln just, uh, again, bothered Jeff with my understanding of history. Uh, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln used to say, if we, if we always move people who disappoint us to the side of the enemy and no longer consider them our friend, in the end we'll have no friends and have all enemies. You know, people are going to get crossways with us from time to time. We forgive and we move on. And I encourage you to always be that person. That's what the Bible says God did. In Romans chapter 10, it says, All day long he holds out his hand to an obstinate and disobedient people. He never gives up. Moses gave up. Moses said, Kill me now. I can't take it anymore. And God said, All right, you can't take it, but I can still take it. And here's what I'm going to do about that. God still cared. Uh, the mission is bigger than any one person. This is so true. You know, you're going to realize every good leader soon comes to know that the ministry has to be shared. It's not just required, it's preferred uh, that other things be accomplished by other people, that we cannot do it alone. And Moses had to learn this lesson. And, and God took some of His Spirit and placed it on others. It's a wonderful thing to see other people doing uh, the work alongside. I, I can't tell you uh, how pleased I am when I pull up on our campus and I see a whole bunch of cars and people working, and I don't even know why they're here. I remember the first day I drove up on our parking lot and I saw a new piece of playground equipment on the on the school uh, playground, and I had not approved it. I thought, "That's awesome." You know, people are doing things, and they don't have to always have, you know, my approval, my blessing. I've understood that God spreads his gifts around. I'm gifted in certain ways, to be sure, and, and God has favored and blessed those. But, man, I lack in some ways. You know, we come to our board of directors, we come to our elders, we come to other staff people, and we lean on them, and, and we listen to them because they have a lot of... Uh, wisdom to share, and they also have God's spirit on them, and can help us to accomplish things that we could not accomplish alone. And then, finally, there's miraculous power in godly unity. Man, this is so true. And, and Paul says this in the Book of Ephesians, but uh, I love the way David says it in, in the Psalms: the importance of maintaining unity in the body of Christ. It's essential, and, and when you maintain it, miraculous things happen. Two people united in the Lord uh, don't do the work of two people. They'll do the work of four or six people. It miraculously uh, multiplies the strength of a people. In Psalm 133, it says how good and how pleasant it is when a Christian church lives together in unity. It's like the precious oil that was poured down on the head, even on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard when he was all dressed and God was working mightily among him as our leader. He said, it's like dew that falls on Mount Hermon. You know, it brings life to everything. Everything springs and grows. It flowers and flourishes. It's like dew falling on Mount Zion. For where there is unity, God bestows his blessing, namely, life everlasting. The power of unity is a miraculous power. Finally, the mission is more important than the man. And I love, 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 love this dialogue that Moses has with Joshua uh, in the closing verses. Uh, Joshua, who had been his aide since youth, when he heard that Eldad and Medad were prophesying in the camp, were not doing according to instruction, he said, make them stop, God. They aren't properly ordained and called and installed and all those things. Make them stop. And Moses said to him, Joshua, Joshua, don't be jealous for my office. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about leadership. Shouldn't you wish that all God's people were prophets? All God's people had special uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They don't. Some are called to be leaders. But shouldn't you want them to be? And that the Lord will put his spirit on all of them. None of us is worthy. But by God's strength, incredible things can be accomplished. You know, focus, focus, focus. Keep your eye on the ball. Because that focus applied to the mission is what makes things happen. Your prestige as senior pastor of this congregation, you are already known around the country. This church is known around the country. That is not the ball. It isn't the ball. Your popularity with this congregation is not the ball. Sometimes you're going to have to do unpopular things. That's not the ball. The mission to reach the lost and to strengthen the saved, that's the ball. I hope you make contact often and expect my support and the support of these people. God bless you, brother.